Hey everyone, this is Matt, and welcome back to another episode of the S-Rank Gaming Podcast. With me today, I have another very special guest. Please go ahead and introduce yourself. Hey everyone, my name's Sam Kusek. I'm one of the co-founders of Cave of Monsters Games. Uh, you may be familiar with us because we publish Henshin, a Sentai RPG, and writer Kanchu. And uh, yeah, Matt, thanks for having me on, man. I'm excited to talk. Oh, me too. I'm, I'm super excited. Uh, if I'm going to be honest with you, this is actually one of the uh, one of the episodes that I most wanted to do back when I started the show. So I'm happy to finally be here. Nice. That's uh, I'm excited to hear that, and that's very sweet. So yeah, um, let's get into it, dude. Heck yeah. Um, so, uh, <laughs> so I've been working with you since like what March of 2020. Yeah, it's been about a year. Um, I remember when we first started interacting because uh, you had started the Henshin Discord, which is now the Cave of Monsters Discord. And that was something that I hadn't really delved into. And I was on a couch in uh, uh, somewhere in Tillamook, Oregon on the coast, like watching the rain. And I was like, oh, dip into this Discord and pinged you and we chatted for a little bit and then yeah progressively over the the weeks that followed we talked more and more and got on the horn and started doing some work together so yeah it has been about a year i don't think i i realized that till this conversation wow yeah Feels it's longer it's crazy it's 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 kind of bloomed into this nice little relationship um where he just kind of approached me and he was like hey this is really cool that you're building a community on here. Is it cool if I like endorse you or whatever? Like that's essentially what, what happened. I'm like, that's fine with me. And then I don't know what was the first like project we worked on together. Um, I think it was the logo work that you did for Ryder. Um, that, that stands for me that, screams out as sort of like the first initial publishing thing mm -hmm. um and you also helped with some of the play testing on that game as well yeah um, um i think the first thing was like you asked me to be like the community guy and like do like mm -hmm. social media and stuff um i think the big thing was when i got the uh battle sauce crossover put together and that was significant for me because I also got in touch with the Battle Sauce creator, so it was kind of like a, a two for one, and I I really yeah. got my name out there. I'm I think one one big thing, one big takeaway from the whole Cave of Monsters thing is that I've gotten a hell of a lot better at networking and connecting to people, <laughs> and I I just feel great because that's such a such a valuable skill to have, especially nowadays. Totally, and there was also let's not forget the summer module contest, which resulted in two other modules getting added to the website. That was pretty. That was pretty significant. Three modules actually, because there was the winner, and then we turned the two runner-ups into oh, our final right. modules. Um, because we decided that the modules wouldn't be a super long-running format, because the whole thing with modules is that you know it's very uh, it's very encouraged for people to make their own stuff. So mm -hmm. when it came time to close it off, we're like, hey, we got two perfectly good modules that have really cool ideas. Let's just go ahead and do it for everyone. And I, I think it ended <laughs> up I think it ended up being really good. Um, that contest was a pain in the ass to put together, though. I was like <laughs> basically the only person running that whole thing. And it was something else. I don't know if we would do it again, maybe not specifically a module contest. I know a lot of people in the server really want us to do one for Ryder Kanchu, so 
maybe maybe i'll do something again like that <laughs> if there's enough demand for it um i'd love to do another event but yeah i i've definitely learned a lot of lessons and i would definitely plan ahead a lot more if i do another big community event like that but it was still super fun i had a good time with it nice nice so um enough enough about me this is an interview with you so yeah. <laughs> why don't we start out with um how did you even come up with the with the whole company how did you how did how what what was the idea that you got uh to start cave of monsters and launch henshin so the the company really started as a result of Henshin. Um, I was living in Los Angeles about five, six years ago, and I was working for Boom Studios at the time. And I had always been a Power Rangers fan, but it was uh, serendipitous that I worked for the company when they got the Power Rangers license because that got me kind of reinvested in the franchise. Um, and so in working with the company and helping to shape some of the art that was going out because as I when I worked there, I was the direct market representative and I would sell retail or I would sell covers to retailers with exclusive pieces of art that people could get in their stores, helping to create the collector market that uh, you see in the, the comic space. And that got me just like really reinvested in uh, seasons I had seen as a kid and then stuff I had just never seen that had been going on since I took a break from it. So I just started watching more and more seasons. Uh, Lost Galaxy was a big one. RPM was a big one. Um, and I left the company uh, to move here uh, to Portland, Oregon, where I am now. Um, and when I moved here looking for community, I found a lot of folks playing tabletop role-playing games um, and started talking to them more and more about like, hey, is there a system out there where you can tell your own, you know, Super Sentai or Power Rangers style stories. Uh, and there really wasn't. Um, so I decided uh, working with some folks there to, to make one uh, ourselves. Um, and that was really the birth of the idea of just like not seeing what you wanted in the spaces that you're in and just deciding to make the stuff that you felt like would be fun and engaging. Because uh, there's been some folks who have taken like you know, I think there's some homebrew D and D stuff out there where you have like a ranger archetype, even though there's a ranger playbook, but it has those like stat breakdowns that equate to strength and dexterity and stuff like that. And I wasn't necessarily super interested in doing that. I was more interested in the storytelling aspect of it mm -hmm. and how character choices um, and character growth really influence the story because that's such a big part of Sentai. You see characters like really grow up, and as a result of that. Uh, they often get a power-up or a weapon <laughs> kind of associated <laughs> with that or a new form. Yep. Um, and so finding a way to like take that pattern uh, and make it accessible to all types of players and also make it not just about like, I think you've probably seen it as well as I have. A lot of people, when they think about Super Sentai or Power Rangers, they want to be like, there's, there's, well, not everybody, but there's a group of people who want to be like the leader, right? Or the badass um, the one who just like kicks all the ass, but there's also a lot of people who just like, they see characters who are smart or athletic or who are sweet and kind, and they want to play those kinds of roles, or they want to take a shot and saying like, oh, I've never played that before. So creating a system too, that, uh, allows for different, just like different flexibility, right? You're not just playing an action game. You're playing a, a game about people. 
was really the driving force. And that's what we try and do with all our kinds of games, right? We want it to be about um, embodying a, a persona and going through some sort of personal growth and gain rather than just like reducing a monster down to zero hit points. Um, it yeah. feels more satisfying to feel like you're on a character journey rather than, um, you know, crunching numbers. Yeah, no, and I, I think that's something that really works with Henshin because whenever you get, you know, at at the end of a of an episode, which you know could be a session or it could be multiple. That's what the thing I like about it is it's very segmented and it's a good game for managing time. Even though, if I'll be honest, a lot of people I've seen running sessions still kind of tend to go for like the you know two hour mark anyway. <laughs> oh yeah, I but, recommended. You know, I recommend for anybody playing. Uh, three hours is a good amount of time to play. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, um just do like a session. like a like a session like that where it's it's more story driven and again you don't have to spend as much time calculating stuff, so you kind of get more story advancement. You know what I mean? Um, totally. The other thing is like the game kind of works if you want to do a more episodic fashion. Uh, the game also encourages doing like one shot episodes. Uh, so if say you're at a party setting and you want to show a bunch of new people who don't play tabletop games or maybe people who have no idea what the hell a Super Sentai is and you just want to be like, hey, I want to show you guys this game. We're going to do a quick like 40 minute session. You can do that, too. And that's that's great that the game's internal design allows you to play pretty much any interval of time and still basically achieve all of the things that a, a session would have. Um, and whenever your characters get some kind of personal growth at the end of a session, again, they always get rewarded with something. And this is something that happens in Power Rangers and Super Sentai. Get some new armor, a new weapon. It's like, oh, hey, you learned how to handle your emotions. Take this giant robotic turtle. <laughs> It's just, it's great. I love it. <laughs> it's, it's a way of, of both rewarding the player with a, a physical, feasible thing for their character, while also in generally record, uh, rewarding the character with this emotional growth, and it changes their character, and that can shift how the story arc changes throughout that season. However long you want that season to be is up to uh, the narrator, but at the end of the day, it's just kind of a cool way to do it. And you know what? Hey, you might discover something about yourself while playing this game. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> Gaming is often equated to therapy. Yeah. And one other thing to mention about the mechanics, if you're not familiar with, with the game, uh, like Matt was saying, there are mechanics at the end of every session. Characters play to a goal, right? And then all the players vote who played best to the goal. And there's a few options of you can get a power up and effectively make your character more powerful. And that's really a narrative tool, right? Nothing mechanically changes. But characters can also retire or you can change playbooks. So there is a built-in um, kind of revitalization of the game, right? It allows you mm -hmm. to keep it fresh rather than... Uh, playing your character to a point where you've explored everything you wanted to explore with them um, and then feeling like you have nothing else to contribute uh, if the rest of your group wants to continue on. So there are ways for people to kind of like dip in and out or take on new challenges, which I think is also a really exciting thing because um, I think it's so easy to like hit a wall with a certain character, you know, um, and feel like you've squeezed all the juice out of them that you could. Yeah, the colors in the game represent a different style of your traditional RPG classes where they're not so much tied to play style, but more so tied to 
player type. There's a different color for every single player type. You've got your core colors, which are the six main colors, uh, red, blue, yellow, green, pink, and black. And those are going to be like for your core players, right? But then there's also a bunch of special colors, uh, the two special colors and three bonus colors. Uh, and these are all serve very specific roles for specific types of players. So for example, say you got someone who is only in town for the weekend, but they want to join you on your henshin session on Friday or whatever, right? They can be the orange color, which is supposed to be the guest appearance character. And what the color playbook would allow you to do is basically you get to do all of the really cool shit that would happen throughout a season for one character and you get to do it all in one one session uh but then you disappear and ride off into the sunset and uh you leave a really lasting impression on everyone your powers go away never to be seen again or maybe um yeah but you're right it there is a bit of flexibility in there um for having people drop in and Mm -hmm. out uh which is fun because sometimes that's just the situation that your table calls for yeah if you want to play an evil character they got the purple playbook. It takes a little more planning, and it's not really suited for one-shots, but if you're planning a long season, maybe you want to talk with one player in secret. Maybe there's somebody at the table who's saying, I'm not playing, I'm just watching. And then later it's like, I was playing the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> and again, if you want to upgrade your character, there's also the white color, which is completely centered around that. I think you can only upgrade to white, right? That's correct. Yeah, so a bunch of stuff, a bunch of cool things you can do. And again, you can always change the colors around. And, and you know, that's the beauty of tabletop games is that if you want to take Henshin at its core, and if you really want to add like crunchier elements to it, if you want to add combat to it, it's like be our guest. You know what I mean? You can absolutely do that. But the cool thing about Henshin is that at its core, it can be enjoyed Uh, to its fullest at a very, very simple level of understanding for tabletop games. And I think Henshin is a fantastic beginner uh, tabletop game. It's really good at getting you into the storytelling, you know, the mode of storytelling. Uh, It's really good for new GMs who want to learn how to tell a story and keep characters in like a concise environment without having to worry about their inventories and their weapons and their enhancements and spells and all that stuff, you know? Yeah, totally. And it's a good way to ease people in. And I just think that's super fun because these are two of my favorite genres. I love tabletops and I love tokusatsu. Uh, And just seeing that this is a game that can kind of bridge a bunch of people together and bring in an, uh, bring in a bunch of new people to both of these. It's like, I couldn't ask for more. (laughs) well that's very nice of you to say that's something we deliberately design the game around is just accessibility right Mm -hmm. i think so many people uh especially in this age of critical role or the adventure zone want to get involved in role-playing games um but there's a barrier of entry of uh like you said tracking inventory or dice rolls and not really knowing what system they want to get into finding systems that may Uh, completely go over their heads and be too crunchy. So having something that's easy to pick up and explain um, and uh, is very configurable is definitely something that that Henshin does very well. Yeah, and like you said, uh, nowadays... Tabletop role-playing games are more popular than they've ever been. You know, now now people don't look at... You know, like, a lot of people would look at D&D and say, well, that's nerd shit. I don't want to be... I don't want to play nerd shit. 
now look at the types of people that play D&D. Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> I, th- I think by D&D especially getting very, um, like, popularized and publicized by a lot of people, I think that's opened the floodgates to, like, every other tabletop RPG. Now it's cool to play tabletop RPGs. Uh, much like how it was lame to play video games back in the 80s and 90s, but now it's cool to play <laughs> video games. You know what I mean? <laughs> Yeah, and it's everything's just so much more accessible with like drive through RPG or itch.io. Mm-hmm. Uh it's so easy. And I mean, hell, like if you have a budget but you wanna have fun, you can pick up a ton of stuff for pretty cheap. Um, hell, you can grab a bunch for free. A lot of people have like yeah. press kits or like demo kits uh that are only like, you know, they might be free, they might be pay what you want, like pay a fair price or whatever, or maybe a couple bucks. Uh, that's the really cool thing is that if you found D&D too daunting, because I'll be honest, first time I played D&D, it was pretty overwhelming. Uh, I'm sure a lot of people get that barrier. Um, but yeah, there's tons of games that just make it so much easier to get into it. And then when you go back to D&D, or God forbid you try Pathfinder as your first tabletop. <laughs> God rest your soul. You know, if you if you try some easier tabletops and then you go into the crunchy stuff, the barrier is so much smaller and it, it'll be so much easier to to ease yourself into it. You know what I mean? I, I don't totally. recommend starting with super crunchy stuff. You know, if you want to start with Starfinder, Pathfinder, Vampire the Masquerade, then, hey, it's your funeral. But I'm just saying there are ways to, um, you know, negate the amount of overwhelm uh, you know that that overwhelming sense of all these mechanics and stuff and and the fact that these games are abstract you know they're they're tabletop games they're not board games though and that's one thing with a lot of people that are trying to get into rpgs is that it's a imaginary thing pretty much aside from your character sheet and the dice maybe you have miniatures maybe you have a map but not always so yeah it's all theater of the mind for the most part yeah, so it's it's great to see that there are tons of new games that are just being very innovative and re- really thoughtful of new players, people who are new to the whole genre. Um, and yeah, it's great. I think the future of tabletop gaming is only going to go up uh, from here on out, uh, especially with tons of new minds and new creative you know, outputs from, you know, creators and fans alike, uh, because some of the best content that I've seen for tabletop games is content made by fans. Um, I mean, that we, we speak for ourselves, especially with the module contest. I think that some of those, uh, module contest winners are probably some of my favorite modules. Uh, it's just cool to see how different minds can come up with different things that you wouldn't think of at first. And you're like, wow, this really works. I really like this. (laughs) yeah and that's what i think is so interesting about like the community building that we're seeing too um you know it's easy to download a pdf it's more interesting to dive into a discord and see the stuff that people Mm -hmm. are coming together or coming along with i mean i know we published you know officially published three uh three modules on the website from the contest you dive into the cave of monsters uh discord there are uh, some folks who have put together, you know, uh, 10, 15 modules. They have their own shared mm-hmm. universe that they're all built around. Um, it's really interesting to see how people collaborate. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I know you've dove into the Rookie Jet Studio Overarms stuff, but that's another really active community. That's mm-hmm. a, a, a tabletop 
a role-playing game that's kind of like Persona, kind of like uh, JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, where you play a character who has an anima, uh, which is kind of a supernatural power. Um, and this, the shit people come up with and the art that they come up with, too, is like, it's really interesting, the engagement that they get there, which is, it's cool. It's yeah, if cool. you if you go to our website, um, you know, you'll find kind of just the surface value. But as soon as you get into the Cave of Monsters Discord and you see what all the community members are doing and all the custom stuff that they're making, it can be a real deep dive. The best thing about it is if you ever have any questions or you want to give feedback to the people, you can always just engage in conversations. I assure you that like 99% of the people on our server would be more than willing to talk to you about their module, uh, especially if you have compliments on them. Um, and that's just something I love to see. I don't think maybe once or twice we've had an issue on the server with a member. Very, very isolated. So I'm happy to see that, you know, there's a lot of positivity going forward. Obviously, the community is still a bit on the smaller side. It's not the largest server ever. So that could change if more and more members get on it. Um, but I think we're at a good start. And I'm just happy to see how positive the community is. It makes me really happy because I built it, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I mean, like, it's a niche product for a niche community, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's a Super Sentai RPG for tabletop, like, storytelling tabletop role-playing games. I yeah, think the, sto- the storytelling, like, the, the fact that right. it's, it's just storytelling, that's an even more niche category of an already niche category. <laughs> totally. Yeah, I mean, I think some people come to Henshin expecting it to be a little more crunchy or dice-heavy, mm-hmm. and it's not, and it's it's never going to be. And if that's the product that you want, then I would encourage you to, to look elsewhere. Um, but if that's if that's mm-hmm. the type of role-playing game that you're into, then we're the game for you, and the people who have invested the time into it, like you said, are just very wonderful, lovely, positive people, right? Everyone just wants to have a good time, uh, make the product and the experience of playing better um, and just encourage more people to do it. And, you know, you couldn't really ask for more just if it was like five people to, you know, like the hundred plus people that we have. Um, it's it's all good vibes and that's that's wonderful. Yeah, it's it's just great to see. I always I always love going in and seeing what everybody's posting. It just makes me feel fuzzy inside. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> yeah, um but moving on, I did want to ask a very specific question. Um I I might have asked before, I'm not entirely sure, but I was wondering if you ever had any influence uh, in the creating process of Henshin from Power Rangers Hyperforce, uh, which for those of you who don't know, Power Rangers Hyperforce was like, I don't, was it still Saban? It was still owned by Saban, I'm pretty sure. I don't think Hasbro owned it yes. yet. Um, no, it was still Saban. It was still Saban. So this was a 2017 experimental season of Power Rangers that was presented in the format of a tabletop role-playing game. I think it was live, uh, like a live format. Um, and yeah, it's like a full season, but of course every episode is like three hours long, right? (laughs) Right. It's a season in between seasons. Mm -hmm. I believe Melissa Flores, formerly of Saban, who's now doing some comics work, um, spearheaded that, which I mean, good for her. Like I, I looked at that and I thought it was a brilliant idea because it was a season in between seasons, essentially. Mm -hmm. Right. I think it was in between. It was Ninja Steel, right? 
It was between Dino Charge and Ninja Steel, um, and it had, uh, or maybe it was after Ninja Steel. Yeah, it had you know uh, two former Power Rangers actors um, on there, uh, and some guest stars from former seasons as well. Um, the only here's the thing I I was aware of it right, and I thought it was a cool idea. I think the thing that influenced me the most is to my knowledge, I don't think they ever released a rule set for Mm -hmm. uh, people to consume themselves. And I thought that was just, that was the thing that kind of drove me up the wall. I was like, well, this is a really great opportunity to like, you could monetize this, right. And make an official like Power Rangers RPG. Yeah. um, Which I know Renegade (laughs) is doing some stuff that's a little more board game focused. Um, Mm -hmm. Uh, and I think that's what influenced me more is just seeing an opportunity and them not taking it and being like, well, fuck you. I'm going to do that. Yeah, Um, no, I, and that's, I was, I'm so happy that you think the exact same thing because that's how I found Henshin. Right. Yeah. And I I would be some people, I think a lot of people did. Yeah. Um, I was like, I saw Hyperforce. I saw maybe, I think the first two episodes and I was like, wow, this is really cool. Like. And this is when I was just getting back into Power Rangers, watching the old seasons and stuff. I'm like, this is so cool. I would love to run this with some friends. I'm like, they obviously have a PDF of this, right? Like, they got to have it right. a PDF. I, I mean, if you watch the show, they even have sheets, like custom-made yep. sheets, custom yep. dice. And I'm like, they probably sell that on the on the Hyper RPG website. They don't. I'm like, what? Like, like. I'm like, they would be dickheads not to monetize this, and they don't. I'm like, that is such a wasted opportunity. I would buy that shit in a heartbeat if it was a real product. Um, So I was looking it up. I was like, Power Rangers RPG. Uh, And I'm like, well, maybe someone else made a Power Rangers RPG or a Power (laughs) Rangers style one. Lo and behold, I find Henshin right after. And I'm like, well, hey, if Saban doesn't want my money... I won't give it to them. <laughs> it's like, I don't know what to tell you, but I'm happy that I found this. Um, I just think it's, it's yeah, again, I just don't know why they never made it a, a system. Yeah, I mean, if they released a Hyperforce system even now, I would probably still get it because it's like, yeah. if you want your story-based Sentai stuff, you play Henshin. But if you want straight up Power Rangers with like combat and shit, you got your Hyperforce RPG. And I've seen, I think, a few people have tried to kind of piece together the rules, but there's never been a definitive rule set, and there's definitely never been anything officially released. So, Yeah, I imagine, I know there was a video um, where they walked through the rules and, and how the game was played. Uh, I imagine that it was a, a licensing concern, right? Because I don't think the mm-hmm. Renegade stuff came out too far after that, so maybe they were already in talks with them and they just couldn't, like, you know, they couldn't cannibalize that side of the business, but I agree. I, it just felt like a big missed opportunity for something that could have been an easy win. Um, but, you know, it... it hey, for uh, you anyways, it was kind <laughs> of a blessing in disguise, you know what I mean? It's like, they totally. don't want to do it, and then you're like... Fine. So, it's just, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and having the creative freedom, you know, it's been nice to just kind of like Mr. Sentai isn't knocking on my door telling me mm-hmm. I have to do things a certain way, right? Yeah, and, you know, I love Power Rangers, 
I grew up with it. Uh, I was right at the age, I think I was like five or six when Mighty Morphin dropped. Um, and there's a lot of seasons that are near and dear to my heart, but God damn, they would have restricted. I think any like official uh, tabletop role-playing game would have been restricted to Mighty Morphin. And I would have just like hated that. Oh yeah. Um, That's, and that is something about modern Power Rangers that yeah. I feel like they suck off the original series just a little too much. <laughs> sure. They, it's definitely, it's the nostalgia factor, right? Mm-hmm. They get a lot of people buying it because they yeah, still I get associate that. it with the childhood. Um, but I think the the most interesting thing about Power Rangers and really Super Sentai, it's more a Super Sentai thing that's injected into it because they, you know, they ape story from the Super Sentai stuff a lot of times. Mm-hmm. It's really, it's about the people and the growth and the diversity in characters and characters coming back and the, the breadth of uh, just the the franchise as a whole. Um, so limiting it to one series never felt like the right way to build a game, right? Because there's only so much story you can tell. And it's really only so interesting after fashion, being able to give people a system where they can put whatever aesthetics and characters they want in there uh, is infinitely more interesting and um, replayable, I think, than than a game that has the same six, or really, I mean, uh, one character uh, that everybody <laughs> wants to play. <laughs> Man, I wonder who that one character is. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> Good Lord. Yeah, well... <laughs> i'm happy it worked out i think for me the only thing that i would have been uh worried about is if it's like hey um i hope people don't look at henshin and be like isn't this just like that power rangers show that came out not too long ago but uh obviously that's not what ended up happening and you know what if they ain't asking we, if, if they yeah, ain't asking I mean, the, <laughs> you know? the i hear what you're saying um, and at the end of the day, we're never going to get those people's money regardless, because those people like probably don't play role playing games or have any interest in doing it. So like, all right, cool. Like, thanks for your snarky comment. Please, please move on. Um, yeah, that's it. Yeah, I'm not really. I, I've seen a few comments uh, like on drive through and stuff where people are, you know, it's it's things we, we just went into like, oh, this this isn't a crunchy RPG. I don't I don't like this. Huh, geez, what false advertising. And I'm like, did you not even read the description of the game? Like, <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, I like to think our uh, our fan base, or at least the stuff I've... Yeah, I, I know the comments you're talking about, but I think the good stuff well outweighs. I think oh, the yeah. top one right now is still like, this is my favorite RPG mm-hmm. of 2020. And I'm like, great. Like, that's, that's wonderful. That's, exactly. that's so great. And we, we have the Kickstarter too that's just like, it's like 281 pretty much all positive comments so that is also like we yeah, have a great it's, it's like it's like i said record. with the server it's like 99 great and there's just that little one percent so every every time there's a negative comment or someone decides to be an asshat it's just yeah. i just think it's like it's a fluke you know totally totally it's always gonna happen but yeah i think rolling with the punches and whole uh not holding those people accountable, but you know what I mean? Just like giving those folks some grace and letting them know where the line mm-hmm. is, is just like, that's all, that's all you can do. And just like, you got to focus on continuing to make good content and yeah. engaging and feeding the positive side of things. 
Yeah, and there have been a few instances where I feel like maybe I've been a little too restrictive. And over the months of uh, people giving me feedback on the server, I've gotten a little looser with some of the rules and some of the restrictions. Like one of the things when we started was like, oh, hey, we want to make this a central hub for Cave of Monsters. Everybody host your games only on this server. And if you link to other servers, you're going to get banned. And then after a while, we were just like, that sounds like that's such a hard ass thing to say, like how restrictive. <laughs> so I eventually was just like, hey, if you want to do your own servers, do it. Just don't post the links in the server. And that's all I ask. And it, yeah, I think it worked out a lot better. And now we just have a few public game rooms. If you want to play on here, you can. You don't have to. I think with that change alone, that was like, wow, way less, <laughs> you know, restrictive. And uh, yeah, no, I've definitely learned a lot more. Um, something that I've learned from doing both the Cave of Monsters stuff and also doing the podcast, because with the podcast, I have to hear my own voice in playback uh, every time I do post, is I've realized how I talk and uh, my mannerisms when I speak to others. Um, so I I've think I'd like to hope that I've improved a little bit in getting my points across to people, because I have gotten complaints in the past where people are like, Look, no offense, man, but you kind of sound like a total bitch. <laughs> uh, you know what? Thanks for letting me know. I'll work on it. And I, I hope it's gotten better, but uh, valuable lessons all across the board. That's the point I'm trying to make. And it's been a great First experience. Yeah. Nice. So, yeah, it, I mean... I'm I'm just happy with how the, all the Henshin stuff came out. And at this point, uh, as as we're recording this, uh, it's been about a year since, uh, a, a little over a year, uh, since Henshin, the deluxe book, released. So, what I mean, uh, looking back on the year, what are your thoughts on the whole process? Uh, as well as, like, all of the stuff we did after the release, because um that's kind of where i was more into it but obviously you've been with it for the whole for the whole ride so yeah i mean it it was an interesting experience um i i have a lot of friends in the comic space and creator space who have done kickstarters so i did a little bit of homework leading up to that and and we did a lot of planning you know going to get everything together from the rewards to the video uh, to just the breakdown of everything. And that was really engaging. Um, I had never done crowd uh, funding before mm -hmm. and I ran the campaign from launch to all the support and, and updates and everything like that. And I really enjoyed that. Um, I work, you know, I, I work as a project manager uh, in my day to day and that, um, it scratches the same itch of just like providing support and information and knowing how to steer people. Um, but I felt like that was a really successful measure of what you can do if you have like a detailed plan. Um, and the production of the book was really, really fun. Um, mm -hmm. It changed. I think we um, like looking at, looking at the project now and what we promised I don't want to say we overpromise because I think everything is like everything's doable, but uh, I think with future projects, I it's definitely going to be like we're kind of going to stick to the script because I think with the Henshin thing, it's like we had all these stretch goals, right? And the stretch goals kind of kept like changing a little bit as the or, the, or we kept adding stretch goals. Like I know, right. like when people were requesting different colors and stuff, yeah. Um, 
I feel like that could be both good and bad. Like, one of the things that I've had a few people in, like, my personal space ask me um, about, like, the Kickstarter is... Uh, they were asking me, uh, hey, when is, uh, like, when's 50-50 coming out? Or uh, they'd be like, why didn't you guys do a Kickstarter for 50-50? And I'm like, well, you got to remember, 50-50 and Ryder Kanchu were both stretch goals for the Henshin Kickstarter. So both of those mm. games were covered. Now, I want to know, did the Kickstarter completely fund both of those games? Or did you have to do some extra investments for those? Um, for Ryder Kanchu, yes. Um, for 50-50, there's a little, I mean, we're making sales, so mm -hmm. that is, that is helping to pay for it, right? Yeah. Because the more, with those, both those products being out, um, I am putting a little bit of money into there, and that's where I think, um, I think 50-50 was the one we should have held back, right? And just, like, done yeah. a different Kickstarter for it, or done, like, a pilot game, and then continued to iterate on it. Yeah, because... I would say that was, yeah, that was the one that was we should have held back on. But Ryder Kanchi was a very easy um... Yeah, well, it's it's basically just a spinoff of Henshin, essentially, and I feel like that's something that yeah. would have made... It, it makes so much sense to do that as a uh, stretch goal for Henshin because it just feels like an extension of Henshin. It's a Henshin extension. <laughs> it's a Henshin extension. I've said that to myself many a time. So the Kickstarter was successful and, and really fun to put together. And, you know, we added a lot as a result of the stretch goals. This changed a little bit with adding the different colors, but ultimately, like, I think it's the best version of the book that it could be, right? Because, like you mentioned when we were talking about colors, uh, orange is great for one shots. White is a natural progression of where characters want to go. Uh, purple something that's like completely different than anything we did before. Um, I will say the challenging part was just like shipping was really challenging, which is something you hear about every Kickstarter. Mm -hmm. um, we were expecting drive through to do fulfillment a different way, and we had to do a lot of uh, manual input ourselves, which just ate up time. It wasn't hard to do. It was just time consuming. Um, but at the end of the day, people got their books, right? And that's what's most important. So I'm pretty happy uh, with how that came out. And then, yeah, uh, getting more involved in the community has been interesting. Um, doing Rider was great because I like, I love the Henshin book, but uh, the difference between a 20-something page PDF, the production of that, and a 180-plus page book uh is is wild right there's so much more to consider and like put together um and getting back to the roots of here's a fun idea can we make it digestible um and put it up online for consumption has been really really great and so getting back to that with not only rider but upcoming 50 50 stuff which is going to be very similar um that's been really fun to re-engage with um and yeah, it's just, you know, 2020 was um, it was a challenging year for a lot of reasons, but I think Henshin was one of the things that like really continued to uh, kind of keep my year bright, right? Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, I, I really just like couldn't, I couldn't be happier with it. Um, and I'm excited to still be seeing a lot of success with it and have the space to work on other ideas. Yeah, no, I think it's a great opportunity for both of us right now because this is your first delve into any kind of like independent business venture, right? 
Yeah, for the most part, um, you know, I've I've worked with other I've worked with other businesses in like a freelance and and um, you know professional capacity, mm-hmm. uh, but this is this is the first sort of independent thing for me. Yeah. Well, that's great. That's great. You, you are you are now among the, and I will always say this: some of the most interesting tabletop games I've played are the indie games, like straight up. <laughs> yeah. So uh, it's definitely a cool a cool thing to be. And I think I always give indie developers, whether it's video games or tabletop games or anything, I always give them so much credit because it's like, man, you're saying you made this game and it was just you and maybe a couple other guys damn like mad respect mad props and always mad respect to you (laughs) sam (laughs) thank you man thank you yeah um it's yeah it's it's interesting but i mean like like you said it's a lot of hard work but i think if you work with the right people you know with like you and um big shout out to dave baker who did the art for writer conchu like it's such a fun process to go through creating something together Mm -hmm. right and and having those sometimes really kind of like hard discussions about how a book should look right. Or how a character should play. Um, it's really rewarding at the end of the day. Um, and yeah, just sometimes I forget if I'm ever like feeling down, you know, about things I'll like look over at one of the books that I have and flip through it and be like, Oh, I fucking made this. Um, and that's mm-hmm. having that physical product is, uh, a really nice reminder of i don't know the human creative spirit or just like putting i think putting your mind and time and money against something um and like really committing yourself to something uh is really rewarding yeah i think that's uh, i don't know it's just uh one of the things i i talked about with like ryan is that like uh because I, I had ryan as a as a guest on our last episode and again he's the guy who streamed a lot um, and he stopped streaming, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of uncertain whether or not he wants to come back or not. But the point is, is that, uh, the most important things that we gained out of this whole thing, when he wanted to come back to streaming for a bit, I, uh, did all of his like branding and stuff for him. I made overlays and a logo and all this stuff. And he ended up, of course, not going too far with the the new streaming schedule and a lot of people were like hey oh matt don't you feel so stupid so silly that you made all this stuff and he you know you didn't even make any money and i'm like hell no because a i got this really good friendship with ryan now and i got out of my comfort zone i made all this stuff i got skills i learned how to use after effects i learned how to animate something you know what i mean um and 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 people will ask me about cave of monsters they're like I'd be in like maybe September, October or whatever. And they're like, oh, is this guy paying you? And I'm like, no. And they're like, really? What's wrong with you? What are you working for? And I'm like, well, the simple reason is that I had nothing I had nothing to offer um, before I started working for you. I was like, I cannot ask for payment because that would be so, I feel like that would be so lousy of me uh, with no college expertise, no degree, no, uh, you know, portfolio or certification or anything like that i'm like i need to just build it up show you what i can do eventually ended up working out you know what i mean come around december time uh i got a payment i'm not gonna say how much i got paid but i got a payment and that for me was like the moment i'm like oh my god i actually did something really like i did it i did it and now, yeah. and now I know that I've formed a good, uh, you know, professional relationship with Sam, as well as a good personal relationship. You're just a cool guy, and you're a good friend, and I, I appreciate your Thank friendship. 
Um, yeah, no, you you made 2020 was a pretty a pretty god awful year. It was pretty garbage. But uh, <laughs> Sam, uh, along with uh, many other people, made 2020 uh, so much less terrible, and uh, I'm so happy about that. Nice. Yeah. So it, it's it's been good all around. Uh, I was really happy with how Ryder went. Um, I'm not a massive Common Rider fan. I like what I've seen, but I'm not super knowledgeable. I haven't seen a ton of uh, seasons of it. Um, so I wasn't as like I'm like I I was hyped for it, don't get me wrong, because I was excited mm. for the new game, but I wasn't as hyped as Henshin because with Henshin I have more of a personal history with it. Um Yeah, and like you said Rider is really like it's kind of a different flavor of Henshin because mm-hmm. it's very much the same uh the same system with uh some tweaks to make it more specific yeah. to the Rider franchise. Uh and it's that it's that like storytelling niche uh uh space again you really have to love Ryder to be like okay i understand the story mm-hmm. potential and like what i can do with this um but yeah it's i mean it's, I, I still ran a session and i had a lot of fun with it i mean the yeah. only the only show that i had seen at the time of the play test was like double <laughs> that's pretty mm-hmm. much it because because people in the server were like matt you gotta watch common Rider. you gotta watch common Rider. i'm like i know i know i gotta watch it so I had limited knowledge, and I still had a super fun time running the game. So, I mean, I, I think let that speak for itself. I mean, if you want to get into this game, and maybe you've never seen Sentai or Kamen Rider or whatever, I mean, go watch a couple episodes. You don't need to ingest an entire season to play this game. Like, once you get the basic formula down, and that's something you'll come to know about these tokusatsu series, they can be very formulaic. And sometimes for <laughs> better, sometimes for worse. It's debatable. It depends on the season, of course. But, um, you know, it's it's something that you can use to your advantage when you're constructing stories for the games. And um, I think, again, that's pretty invaluable because it means that you get to have fun with the game sooner. And uh, I think that is fantastic. <laughs> and when it came to, like, the core vibes of the game, I was just really excited. Uh, another thing with the whole stylistic difference, of course, is, again, because I'm not super, super familiar with Ryder... I wasn't super familiar with like the whole aesthetic. Obviously you can Google search and you can watch clips uh, and you can get a basic idea that way. So for the most part, when I was designing the logo, which I'm still really happy with, I think it's like the most professional looking thing I've ever made. (laughs) Um, It it was something where I had to source something from the game, a little bit of the source material. I went online and I looked up, what do common writer logos typically look like? Um, <laughs> yeah. And I try to go f- kind of for that vibe, but of course, common writer logos are always Japanese. You know what I mean? So I'm, I'm like, I gotta, I gotta try to translate this to English and I need to make it look flashy. I ultimately settled on something that had both a common writer look, but also had kind of like a comic book look because Henshin and writer Kanshu are undeniably their art styles are un- undeniably uh influenced by comic book art styles um i don't know if that's something that you intended on but it has oh, a very totally. yeah very just a very comic booky style um i think that's really cool so i yeah. think it came out all right i i if uh, if anybody wants to look it up if you go to the cave of monsters website and you go to the writer conchu section you'll see the logo there i try to give it like some slanting 
to simulate motion because you know they're usually going fast or they're on a motorcycle um i had kind of like these tire print-esque like dots that fade kind of like tire tracks uh i tried to use the gear as i think it replaces the o in Kanchu. Mm-hmm. um i don't know i like how it came out and i i the, the the idea with the k i don't know if you ever caught on to it but the k is supposed to be both like the handles of a motorcycle but also kind of like the antenna on a kabuto oh <laughs> so, i like that a lot yeah i don't think i had caught up to that initially mm-hmm. but i i'm a fan yeah it was a really great logo um definitely added a lot to the just overall style of game and i think enhanced the, yeah. the comic book work because pretty much every artist we use comes from comics uh, which mm-hmm. is another another staple of the games i want to have stay consistent so uh, it's nice that they can complement each other yeah it's it's really nice and uh it gets me excited for future cave of monsters games because <laughs> i really want to see what these art styles are going to look like uh sam's released a couple sneak peeks of our next game 50 50 rpg i think he put a couple in the discord i think maybe some on social media uh, but the art style is looking really nice, and I'm really excited to see what the final uh, finished art looks like. Um, yeah, me too. Uh, we're working with DG Daguna again, who did um, the chapter break artwork in the Henshin book, uh, as well as the Menu Mayhem artwork for that module. Uh, they're a really great artist, uh, and yeah, they're just they're perfect for uh, for this style of game. So I'm pumped uh, with what they're bringing. Uh, with that said, I feel like that's a good segue uh, to talk about 5050, uh, which is currently in development. Now, obviously, I don't feel like I'm at liberty to ask about everything about this game. Obviously, we want to keep some things under wraps. Uh, mm-hmm. But is there anything about its current development that you want to share with us? So 5050 is going to be our uh, first attempt at a game that that uses dice rolls, um, not necessarily in the sense of replacing narrative choices, but to help uh, help fuel those. Um, so I'm excited to try that out, uh, just because the way I've constructed dice rolls is gonna mirror. Uh, ho- I'm hoping it'll mirror some of the like quick uh, quick combat and comedy and quippiness that you see in Ranma One Half, which is uh, pretty much one of the major influences of this game. Um, so that is, that's currently in development. It should be ready for play test, uh, you know, as of this recording um, at the beginning of April. And yeah, we'll see how it goes, but the art is driving a lot of the development of that right now. Very excited to see how that all comes out. And yeah, I just want to like, it's been an idea I've been toying around with for a while and I'm excited to just get it out and then also see what people do with it. For sure. Uh, didn't you say it was originally going to be a card game, but then you kind of like changed your mind? Yeah, I, it was originally going to be a card game. I was playing a lot of, um, I always forget the name. It's like that Wizard Battles game um, where you, it's a deck building game. You play as a wizard. Is it like Battle you, Wizard something? Yeah, I know, I know exactly Wizards. what you're talking about. Yep where you compete, you build spells. Um, and I love the way that game flows, um, but I didn't feel like it had all these interesting characters and this interesting character art, but there was like no story, you mm-hmm. know? And I always want more story with that kind of stuff. Um, and then the production of cards just felt like 
I felt like a bigger task than I wanted to take on, honestly. And it didn't, it just ended up not feeling like the right mechanic. So I'm excited with, with what we have though. Um, and to see how that, how that goes. For sure. Yeah, no, that, that gets me excited. Uh, I, I think a lot of people, uh, especially in the server would be interested to know that you're now delving into the heresy that is introducing dice <laughs> mechanics to your games. <laughs> I think some people will be will be excited though. They'll embrace, oh yeah, I know. mean, I kid, I only kid. Um, but yeah, I would be excited to see how that works. Uh, introducing dice mechanics into a game that still wants to have that narrative focus. Hey, I'm 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 all in. I'm excited. <laughs> yeah, I, it's been done before, and it'll be done again. Absolutely. Maybe just a, a little bit different. I do want to see how the game differs from a mechanical standpoint. Um, I don't know a lot about Ranma, so this is completely uncharted uh, uncharted territory for me. Um, but Yeah, and I think that's... You know. Ranma, you know, I think you can kind of consider it an older anime and manga at this point. It hasn't mm -hmm. necessarily had the revival that some of other... Uh, the other Rumiko Takahashi stuff has had. Uh, Viz has put out Omnibus Volumes, which is great. Um, but I like, I do like that there is a contingent of folks who aren't super familiar with it, because then, you know, like Super Sentai, you don't have to stick to any tropes or anything like that. Well, something great about, um, about Ranma, again, with me not knowing much about it, I'm sure that there are a lot of people that do know a lot about it. Um, and, and that's one of the things that, that goes into the whole server thing and what we were talking about before, where Henshin is already just this niche thing, like Sentai Tokusatsu is very niche, uh, and tabletop gaming is already niche, and then doing just the story stuff is an even smaller niche in that category. Man, you ever say words so many times that it just starts sounding weird? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the point I'm trying to make is that instead of... Now, now that we're breaking away from just sheer tokusatsu, because again, Rider Kanshu was also common Rider, which is also Toku. But now that we're doing Ranma, I'm thinking maybe now we can, in, instead of making it just one niche community, it can be a collective of several niche communities coming together uh, and making just a really tight knit one, and that gets totally. me excited. Um, totally, this game is is definitely stepping out to try and get anime fans who are interested in playing role-playing games or who like playing role-playing games already um, into the foray, right? So it's, yeah, it's broadening our horizons a little bit in terms of the fan base that we can interact with. I'm excited about that. Um, mm -hmm. That's that's where I think a lot of the products in the future from Cave of Monsters could trend towards, not just specifically tokusatsu. We're probably still going to do a lot in that space, but... Um, you know, uh, I just want to I want to get as many people who love this shit as possible uh, playing games. So now that we've got all the all the, you know, big cave of monster stuff out of the way, um, I wanted to ask a couple more, maybe more personal questions uh, if you're down for that. Yeah, totally. So I obviously talking about me. <laughs> Good. <laughs> um. So obviously one of the things with Henshin is, or, or really with Cave of Monsters and something I'm excited for with 50-50, and it goes into what our old conversation is 
a lot of people associate Cave of Monsters and yourself as the tokusatsu guy. And it's like, we don't want to be known as just the tokusatsu guys. We kind of want to branch off into other things. Obviously, with that said, Henshin is the flagship game and it's kind of the backbone of the company, at least for now. So mm-hmm. I'm kind of curious to know what shows uh, really influenced you in uh, making Henshin. What are some of your favorite toku shows? Not outside of just Power Rangers and Sentai as well. Um, mm, good question. I've been delving. Yeah, the stuff that influenced Henshin, I, I was a little limited in what I could view during that time, right? So uh, from a Power Rangers standpoint, uh, Lost Galaxy and RPM, which I had mentioned previously uh were hugely influential uh i was consuming a lot of like modern sentai at that time so like q ranger was pretty uh q ranger and kiryuger uh the the well one of them became dino charge the other one is that like very fun space uh space season um i've also uh, from a Sentai perspective, I really love Jetman, Chojin Sentai Jetman, if you haven't watched it. Uh, I love Jetman. <laughs> dude, I think it's like, I think it's like the best it has Sentai It has there. aged very well and it still holds up. And it's I am... So, yeah. Yeah. It's so... Stylistically, it's just like fantastic. Some of the stories are really brutal. Um... Uh, it introduces a whole other world that is not entirely centered around the people. Um, and at the end of it, they're just like, I don't know, we're people. We're going to like continue to live our lives. It feels really great. Um, uh, um, in terms of other tokusatsu, um, Ultra Q has been something that's been really interesting to investigate. Are you familiar with that? Maybe. I'm not sure. So Ultra Q is, it predates Ultraman, um, still E.G. Subaraya and and some of the folks that went on to uh, produce Ultraman, but it's kind of like the Japanese Twilight Zone. Um, it's okay. just all these weird things that happen around Japan. What's interesting about it, or one of the major differences that I really love is it's a recurring cast of characters. So you see a lot of the same people interacting with these interesting situations and they grow a little bit and they have different relationships. It's not exactly like a drama about people, more like people in weird situations. Um, But that's been really fun from a practical effects standpoint. Um, I'm trying to think. I I am taking a look at some of the tapes that I have that are all out there. Uh, There's a lot of... I mean, I'm a big Godzilla fan. I'm a big um, King Kong fan of that era. I would say that while I definitely started with Power Rangers, uh, the first Mm -hmm. Japanese thing I really got into was definitely Godzilla. And for those of you who have listened to previous podcasts, especially over on the Killjoy Jake podcast... (laughs) You know <laughs> how much of a bat shit I am for Godzilla. <laughs> what's your what's your favorite Godzilla movie? My favorite Godzilla movie. Um one of the I, I don't know this doesn't really count because it's more of a duology, but probably like the Millennium series uh Mecha Godzilla movies. Mm. Uh like Tokyo SOS and Godzilla against Mecha Godzilla. Those are great. I'm also a big fan of like Godzilla 2000. Um, nice. the 80s versus series like almost all of those like Biolante masterpiece <laughs> Biolante is um, great 
Uh, um, I love King Kong versus Godzilla of that era. Mm -hmm. uh, I think it's just like, it's super stupid. It's <laughs> so stupid. Really, it's really fun. It's such a joy to watch. Mm -hmm. um, Godzilla versus Megalon is also great. Um, if you haven't seen that with Jet Jaguar. Well, that's, that's the one that introduces Jet Jaguar, which is like, I, I always thought that was super cool that he's just kind of like a, like an Ultraman-esque character. Not really Ultraman, but that that you know just this, exists you you know the story behind how he came to be right yeah wasn't it like a contest and like a bunch yeah. of kids designed him uh yeah right they designed they designed a character like him and then the studio like changed him quite a bit um mm -hmm. which i think is funny he was like he was pretty different in his initial inception and they were like well we're gonna like make him maybe a little more toyetic um but that stuff's fun. I also, if you haven't checked it out, the Toei Tokusatsu channel on YouTube has a bunch of really interesting stuff that you just never would have come across unless you lived in Japan during that time. Mm -hmm. um, I think Ninja Captor is one that's interesting. It's like a nine, eight or nine person Sentai, people from all different walks of life. Um, they all are ninjas with elemental focuses. Um, there's also, uh, I forget, I'm going to look it up. There's a few series where it's, uh, I, I think it's Akumizer um, is like three monster looking guys with fencing swords who like are trying to kill each other and then decide <laughs> to become a Sentai team. Dude. That one's really fun. <laughs> um, so there's a bunch of just like, I'm finding a lot of joy, especially in the pandemic of like kind of uncovering these treasures of stuff that, you know, because we have like Ultraman and Spectrum Man made it over here, and obviously yeah. like Godzilla um, and some. Uh, we had um, um, Mass Rider, and then uh, Mass Rider was it Mass Rider Ryuki or Common Rider Ryuki? Uh, it's a Common Rider Dragon Knight, right? Became Dragon Knight. Yeah, um, which is a weird one. I haven't watched <laughs> that. I won't. Um, <laughs> you just refuse. It's just. It's that, it's that kind of ugly. It hasn't aged well, right? So it's yeah. that, it's that ugly period of television where things just look bad. Yeah, and it's also the fashion in it is really hard to swallow. Um, I think it's probably well acted and good for whomever made it, giving it a shot. But it's just, it's, it's not visually appealing to me. <laughs> yeah, I, I can get that. Um, yeah, something you know, great oh, with, oh, what's up? What's up? Last thing. Um, uh, two things that I've been watching that have been really fun, um, is Thailand made, um, uh, a Ultraman and Kamen Rider movie featuring a, uh, Thai god named Hanuman. So they like stole footage from, uh, uh, Japanese Ultraman and common writer movies and just like put Hanuman in it but he's the star of the movies even though he's barely in a lot of them yeah um, those are absolutely insane um and they're totally worth they're on youtube they're totally worth checking out if you can find them so they're like uh, they're like parodies pretty much uh no they're absolutely serious films um, really or they take themselves very seriously uh but <laughs> they just like they really rip a lot um the mass rider one has a very silly dub uh yeah 
there's that. There's uh, Zayram and Zayram 2, if you haven't seen it. Hakider. I could just go on, so please cut <laughs> me off. But, yeah, no, uh, this is this is the type of shit. Every time I go on a, on a phase like this, either on another podcast or just talking to people in person, I'm always like, dude, I could talk about this shit for hours. Like... I'm so sorry. I'm like, I could, I, I would do an episode on like Godzilla games just as mm. an excuse to talk about Godzilla. You know what I mean? Yeah. I would do an episode on Power Rangers games just as an excuse to talk about whatever, you know, what, whatever it is. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's I'll, a problem. <laughs> I'll try and find it. Um, I'll put, I'll put a button on this particular topic. Someone did an article about all the King Kong games that are out there. Mm -hmm. um, and there are a bunch of like super interesting Famicom looking ones uh, that I actually wanted to like go find ROMs for. Uh, but yeah, I know, I know what you mean. Um, going yeah. down those rabbit holes is really, really fun. There's, there's a lot of weird stuff to look for, but that's, uh, that's what makes it fun for me. And something that's been great is like, for example, I mentioned Jake uh, from the Killjoy Jake podcast. Um, and Jake's been on this show many times before. And by many times, I think probably like two at this point. So <laughs> disregard what I just said, but Jake's a friend of the show. His dad is a massive Godzilla fan, uh, like big fan of like the Heisei period. He loves Ultraman and all this mm. stuff. And I'm like, have you ever heard of Kamen Rider? And he's like, because he knows what Sentai is. He's never seen it, but he knows what it is. I'm like, have you ever heard of Kamen Rider? It's kind of like Sentai, but <laughs> not exactly. It's kind of like... Some seasons are really goofy, but some seasons are really dark. And he's like, wow, it sounds like you could get some massive mood whiplash if you went season to season. I'm like, I know, right? <laughs> I'm yeah. like, dude, you should check these out if you ever get a chance. It's it's basically just like Ultraman, only they're small. <laughs> that's like basically that's that's the the face that's the face value look at it. Of course, I know that's that's an absolute understatement, but I'm like, uh, one of the things that I always bring up for people who don't know anything about Toku, um, or only know it because of Power Rangers and Godzilla, because like let's face it, that's what most people know know it as. Um, you know, Marvel is really popular, right? <laughs> Everybody loves the MCU. You know, that's like the hot live action Marvel thing. When you talk about hot live action Marvel things, you think of the MCU or you think of like the Raimi Spider-Man movies or something like that. Nobody brings up Spider-Man. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's a really interesting. That is my favorite segue. They'll be like, did you did you know that there is a, a Super Sentai-esque Spider-Man show that was exclusive to Japan? I'm like, no, I didn't know that. And I'm like, yeah, go check it out. I, it, I mean, the show is so goofy and it has, bearing the name and the costume, nothing to do with Spider-Man. I, I love clowning on it, <laughs> but it is so fun to watch. The looks on everybody's faces whenever I show them Spider-Man is crazy. I always he, call it, it's just, yeah. He is uh, rumored to show up in the next Spider-Man movie. Um, I was, that, yeah, that would make me so happy. And that, um, fun fact, you probably knew this, but maybe your listeners don't. That is one of the first instances of a giant robot and like a Tokusatsu mm -hmm. style show. Yeah. yeah and, and it was really Spider-Man's cool. robot. And it's the weirdest shit. Spider-Man's robot, Leopardon, which I don't know if that <laughs> equates to a spider's name or whatnot, but <laughs> <you know. laughs> there it is. Uh, 
Jeez, man, that was such a train wreck. Oh, <laughs> such a conversation. Um, but you you make your own like VHS tapes for this, right? I do. Um, there is a thriving community. I say thriving with big, you know, uh, air quotes marks yeah. around it. Um, uh, uh, there's a tape community here in Portland, Oregon, which is just another hobby I've gotten myself into. And it's been pretty easy to find blank VHS tapes because people don't want them for whatever reason. Um, and What's it's wrong also with been them? Kind of, I don't know. <laughs> it's Jeez. also been kind of easy to find VCRs. Um, and yeah, so I built a little, uh, I have a little setup of a couple VCRs and I have an HDMI to RCA converter so I can plug my computer into the TV and then take things from YouTube and put them on tape, um, which is cool. Um, yeah, it's just, it's, here's the thing is that like designing games is great, but it is a lot of thought process and creative problem solving and not always like the creative design work right and mm -hmm. my job is also a lot of the same right um i do i do a lot of talking and facilitation throughout my day this has become a really great hobby for me where i can like find something weird like the hanuman movies that i watch watch it and then like design a cover for it and then just kind of have it and like you're saying surprise people and be like have you have you heard about this thing and then put it on and people lose their shit? Uh, yeah. <laughs> so that's been that's been really fun. If you follow me online on Instagram or Twitter, I'll occasionally post about the tapes. And then, like, if you're really interested in one, um, you can you can hit me up um, and we can figure something out. But I have a lot of friends who make tapes for sale. Right. And that's like a, a second job for them. Like Weeb, mm -hmm. uh, Weeb shop online is a dude I know. Um, and then there's some places here that like make their own uh, boots and sell them. I don't really want to do that because it's a lot of work, um, and I think it would just take the. Fun it's just a, it. it's just a kind of a side hobby. I, I mean, I like it. I like the covers you make for them. It just nice. looks it looks nice. I like it. I, as someone who is a big advocate for physical media and preservation, I think it's super cool to have these things that don't have. Uh, physical formats in the United States and making physical formats for them and having them on a VHS tape just makes it so authentic. I love it. It really, and, you know, thank you. And there's a lot of stuff, you know, we're, we're very lucky here in Portland. And if you ever come out here, we're definitely going to go here um, to have a independent video store called movie madness. And they have, they have a lot of VHS, which is great. Um, and there's still that like that sense of discovery is really real, right? Because we have that with mm -hmm. the internet, right? It's easy to come across things like you don't know, but it's also easy to kind of get spoon fed that stuff. Um, with with having a physical location you go to, you can really just like try things, and it's a lot of stuff that like doesn't exist anywhere else. You know, nobody's taking the time to put it up there. So being, having that power, right? And you're right, I think like getting that media preservation feeling is like, it's really, that is also really satisfying. For sure. Yeah, you know what? Portland, Oregon sounds like a pretty kick-ass place. I think I want to go sometime. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah, let me know uh, when things clear up. Uh, we oh, can definitely man. figure something out. Tantalizing. <laughs> um. To wrap things up here, I, I obviously this is our S rank gaming podcast, and uh, this is an interesting episode because this is our first delve into tabletop gaming. It's a topic I certainly want to explore more often. Um, 
And so I, I've got some stuff planned for future episodes. Um, of course, I did want to ask if there are any video games that you enjoy, because that's primarily what we talk about on the show here. Totally. Well, I think you and I have talked about it a bit, but I'm a big Pokemon guy. Um, I was 10 when the first games dropped, so that was fun um, to be kind of at the same age as your protagonist. Uh, and I, I buy the games anytime a new main game comes out. I mostly stick to the main games because I really like the battle system, right? And that's mm-hmm. kind of where where my focus is at. I'm not a Pokemon Go player. Um, uh, so I like those. I love Sun and Moon of the more recent games. And Black and White 2 and Soul Silver are probably some of my favorites. I right right there with you, man. Gen 4 yeah. and Gen 5 are the best, yeah. in my opinion. I didn't super care for Sword and Shield as a game, but I liked some of the stuff it introduced. I actually really came around to enjoying like uh, Gigantamaxing and what that does. Well, um, I mean, it is ju- it is just kaiju mode, pretty much. Yeah, but like the boosts you get from the moves, right? Of like, yeah. you know, Max Knuckle gives you uh, your stat boost, the speed boost that you can get. That can really like turn the tide of some battles at least in the competitive scene i've seen that Mm -hmm. used in really interesting ways um i also i was like a ps1 ps2 kid um i haven't really gotten into consoles sort of in my adult life but i loved i don't know if you've ever come across uh sayuki which is a tactical rpg that's based off of um the journey to the west legend Um, no no i've never heard of it that game, I I played that a lot growing up. That's super fun. I also love Legend of Mana of the Mana game mm-hmm. series. Um, I'm very excited that that has a Switch re-release coming out in uh, June. It's on my calendar somewhere. Um, I'm going to play the hell out of that game. Uh, <laughs> and then, like, you know, kind of touchstones, like Katamari Damacy is a super... Oh. Oh. It's like comfort comfort food game. That then, is the game that is, like sam plays this for sure yeah. <laughs> oh, totally. i'm totally. like i always think about you when i when i think <laughs> katamari i'm like it's it's weird it's quirky it's very japanese just like yep. you <laughs> i posted i'll send it to you someone posted online a picture of someone from one of the, the levels of the game and it's a woman like photocopying a melon and it was just like just thinking about that woman in katamari damasi photocopying a melon and i was like yeah, if you were to like just pause that game or spend your time rolling around looking at what people are doing, they're peculiar, yeah. right? They're, <laughs> they're oddly put together games, but they're very charming. And then um, the last thing, and I, I put, I guess I put a lot of pride on this for a weird way. My childhood best friend and I, um, for seven years, would like play through Ocarina of Time every summer. Um, it was like we graduated high school, then we went to college and we came back and we were like, well, I guess we're still doing this. Um, <laughs> and we just like blazed through that game. Um, but that game is also just like really engaging and really fun. It's very um, replayable. Very replayable, very satisfying. Um, so yeah, those are, I would say those are a lot of my my gaming touchstones. Well, that's cool. See, I didn't know that you had a switch before this. I think I might have to go do something after this recording. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good, dude. Yeah, well, that's great. Up with your friend card. For sure. Nice. Just gained all kinds of insight <laughs> tonight. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, with that said, though, it is uh, starting to get to that time. We want to wrap things up here. So, Sam, is there anything else that you want to say before we end it? Uh, I think if there's anything that's interested you of this podcast, you know, go uh, or anything that I've said on this podcast, go check out our games at caveofmonsters.com. Um, there should be a way to get in contact with us there if you have any questions. Hit me up on Twitter if you have any questions about the game, or you can always ping me directly in the Discord or just chat with uh, the wonderful moderators and folks in the Discord. Um, but yeah, I think just in general, like continue to watch the space. We have some interesting stuff coming up um, and just stay excited. You know, there's a lot of good stuff happening uh, in the tabletop role playing game space. And if you, I hope, uh, I guess the other big nugget um, is I hope I'm an example to people like young game designers or people who want to create, you know, weird physical media or something like that. Uh, I hope I'm an example that you can just go out and do it. You don't have to wait for somebody to come and, you know, uh, give you the means to do it or tell you that you can. Like if you see an opportunity like Matt and I talked about with the hyper RPG people not releasing rules and you're like, well, you know, I, maybe I can make something like that. Just go do it. You know, nobody's stopping you. You're going to worst comes to worst. You get some feedback from people that helps you rethink and redesign uh, how you want to approach things. Um, but I just want to encourage people to just put stuff out there because the more that we put out there and the more conversations that we have about this media and help each other grow, uh, the, the better the space is going to be. Well, that's great. And I'm super excited for everything coming out in the future. Everything that we're working on, we are working on some stuff that, again, we're not really at liberty to share quite yet, but just know that there are things in development aside from 5050. So do look forward to the rest of the year uh, and we'll see what ends up happening. <laughs> I know I'm just, I'm, I'm excited. Uh, Sam has told me many times during our calls of all of the really wacky ideas for games that he's had. And they just really get me interested things. I wish I could talk about, but I just cannot. Huh? So please Soon. understand. Soon. <laughs> Soon. One day. Trust me. One, One day, day, everything that is a part of Sam's delusion will become reality. <laughs> Wonderful. Wonderful. Uh, well, as, as always, guys, if you want to find more about Sam, we will link a bunch of his handles as well as the website. Uh, and a link to the Discord server in this episode's description. And if you have any suggestions for future episodes, topics, games you want us to look at, or any guests that you would like us to have on, leave those suggestions uh, in our email address. You can find our email in our podcast description. That is the main show description, not the episode description. You can also find all of our social handles up there as well. As always, I've been Matt. And you have been... <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I didn't know if you wanted me to go or not. Uh, and I've been Sam Kusek. Matt, thanks for having me. This was a blast, dude. As always, I'm, I'm su I was super happy to have you on here. It was a lot of fun. Uh, we yeah. will see you guys in the next episode. Take care. All right. Bye now. Oh, thank God. <laughs> Let's get down. Don't